Good morning and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Arch Hunter, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where you explore in depth the American experience from its beginning through the present. And today we want to welcome back as our very special guest, Adam Gersick. Adam, welcome back to the show and thank you for coming. Thanks for having me back, Arch. I enjoy talking with you about history and all the fun ways to explore it. Now, thank you for coming and sharing again. Adam is the Director of Visitor and Community Engagement at Valley Forge National Historical Park. And if you would like to share briefly a little bit of your career background, and then Adam, you can pick it up and continue to talk to us about your experiences in American history. I've been working uh, for the federal government since 2008 and with the Park Service since 2012. And I've been fortunate to work at uh, Arlington Cemetery, the North Bridge in Concord, Fort Washington, overlooking the Potomac and Mount Vernon. So, and now here at Valley Forge. So, so some really great places across the country. And you've been at Valley Forge since last December. Is that correct, That Late September, actually. Late September. So you are now just going into your official first northeastern summer where we're going to see a lot of humidity build up and a lot of thunderstorms, and it, we're going to continue to roll through that. So, <laughs> But Adam grew up part of his life in Florida. So he's used to a little bit of heat and a little bit of humidity. So and a few thunderstorms as well. We got yeah. <laughs> yes, a lot, few thunderstorms. So Adam, please pick back up where you left off, or take us in another direction, please. Yeah, in our last conversation we were talking about sort of like the history that you can find right next door. And as you know, my experiences moving up here to Pennsylvania and kind of finding what all is around you in a history sense, and that you don't necessarily have to make destination travel to experience the history of your local area. You know, like there's amazing stuff if you just walk out the door and you're know, right in the vicinity. And it could be a national park. I'm always going to advocate for those, but mm -hmm. it could be a number of other experiences. And one thing that really struck me was actually some, uh, you know, it, it, it can be something that you have to do correctly, but like a little bit of uh, amateur archaeology work. And I'm not suggesting you go and just dig up your neighbor's yard or, you know, bring a metal <laughs> detector to, 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 to public lands. That's a great way to get in trouble. But yeah. like <laughs> opening your eyes to what happens to be around you. I mean, it's almost like, oh, for, for lack of a better term, it's those ghost hunters guys, you mm -hmm. know, like that you see on TV and everything. And I mean, when I do see those shows, like I, I don't really pay attention to the paranormal stuff. I'm like, oh, wow, what a fascinating old building. Oh, look, they still have the original architecture. That's so cool. And you can do that actually around your neighborhood even. I live in a town, Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. It's a, about maybe a 10-minute drive from Valley Forge, from the park. And where my particular neighborhood is, it's built on the remnants of the old Phoenix Iron and later Phoenix Steelworks. And fascinating history to the factory itself. Started off as a nail works, I believe, in the late 18th century. They made cannons during the Civil War. They developed this bolt-together iron column. It's called the hmm. Phoenix Column. That there's still, there's a number of bridges across the country that use it. And most famously, it was the original infrastructure inside the Washington Monument for the first elevator oh. they put oh. there. So yeah, one of my colleagues here, Jeff Jones, out at Hopewell Furnace. He worked at the Washington Monument for a number of years, and he was always wondering, oh, I wonder where Phoenix Iron is from. And then he finds himself here in southeastern Pennsylvania, and he's like, oh, <laughs> I, I know exactly where that's from. But the old ironworks is long gone, closed, I believe, in 1987. 
But the remnants of it have been incorporated in the town in a few ways. I mean, a foundry building and an old administrative office have become an event center and a, uh, and a restaurant, respectively. But then the area where they're going to be building some new houses, all the buildings were pretty much cleared out. But now they're doing like kind of the final demolition. And wandering around that, you know, was a fascinating experience because I've always seen sort of maps and aerial photographs of the property. I kind of just wanted to see what I could find and just little bits and pieces from just kind of walking in the nice, safe, flat areas, not climbing any giant piles of broken bricks or anything that could end up getting me hurt or anything like that. <laughs> you see... You find some fascinating stuff, like there's a remnant of one of the old, probably asbestos and metal gloves that one of the workers was using to handle the iron. You could, and there are bricks that I'm pretty sure were just complete asbestos that were sort of in a pile that I made sure to keep my distance from. But just like the old rail lines in the ground, the remnants of the foundations and everything, and just sort of standing there and like trying to imagine what that site was when it was functioning. And it's like ghost hunting. It's like, you know, you're trying, you almost have to put that image into your mind of, you know, the spectral factory with mm -hmm. the, you know, with the workers and the sparks and everything. But to know that you're still standing in that spot and having that sort of idea of like where you are, like what this was for so many people. I mean, how many people made their livelihood there? You know, that whole town rose and fell, you know, Phoenixville, you know, rising from the ashes around the fortunes of that steel mill. And that era has gone by and there's, you know, sort of a new prosperity that's coming in, into the area. But just being able to connect with sort of that moment of like, Here's why mm -hmm. these people came here in the first place. You know, the river flowed in such a way that it could power a steel mill in some way, you know, and then the steel mill was built and they needed people. So the people moved there to work the steel mill and then they needed services. And so those, so to be there for the reason why this little gathering of humanity, you know, over the course of several hundred years to kind of stand there and connect with for just a few moments of this is why this all started. And, you know, yeah, now my house is there and, and everything. So, yeah, there is a little bit of that sense of loss, but being able to just sort of go out there, see those ghosts and pay the respects to them in that regard was, was it was a really great way to spend a couple hours yeah. sun, Sunday afternoon. And, you know, and, and some of the lovely pre-summer uh, weather that we have up here <laughs> in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. Your brief time, Adam, being in this area of Pennsylvania, are there other places that you have visited that you found extremely valuable that you would like to share or could share with our listeners? Um. One of my favorites in Philadelphia has always been the USS Olympia. Yes. Uh, yeah. That's always a great one. Fort Mifflin. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've gone into detail with it, but it, it, the last segment I talked about, I like to go fortress hunting. Fort Mifflin is a fascinating little fortification. You know, it, there was a battle there during the Revolutionary War. It was the anchor of uh, the seacoast defenses for the approaches to Philadelphia during the Civil War. I think there was some consideration of more modern defenses being put there, but they were better suited out more towards the mouth of Delaware Bay. But like, it's, I mean, unless you fly over it when you're coming into the airport, I know people that have lived here their whole life are just like, oh, there's a fort? There's a fort near Philly? And it's like, yeah, it's great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it takes a little bit of sleuthing. But I mean, again, I'm a fort nerd. So that's always a place that I really love. But yeah, no, going, going and seeing it is a really cool place. They do some really creative things to take the historic setting beyond 
just what it is, mm-hmm. you know, just like a, a pile of bricks and stone and everything. I think they do like the 1920s jazz night and the flappers and everything come out there because I guess there's a, I think there is a little bit of like rum running, like prohibition history that may have um, been happening in that part of the city. I'm not uh, sure. Addy, it's Philadelphia. Of course there was rum running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's likely. You know. uh, one thing I found fascinating when I went there is that they actually have Spanish cannon. Like it's not inside the fort, but in front of their mm-hmm. offices, they actually have some Spanish guns from I think it's the, the reign of Charles II, which I was very. The, the, they look very similar to the guns that I saw at the Castillo de San Marcos in, in my childhood, and I was wow, how did these old imperial Spanish cannons get to sit here next to the river in Philadelphia? Yeah. I'd love to find out that story, you know. But yeah, it's again another little place. You know, it's it's not expensive to go there. I mean, heck, you can get out of your car and just walk around it for free if you want to go inside. There's a little bit of a fee, but it's a way to just connect with a little tiny bit of Philadelphia's history. That I mean, you know, it's certainly known to the people that are in the know. But if you're just you know like you need something to do on the weekends, I mean, it's great. You can get that. You know, that, again, that tangible experience, touching the bricks, seeing the view from the yep. ramparts makes it a little bit more real. It's not just a a story in a book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was over at Paoli Battlefield on Saturday night with Michael Harris, and he mentioned that he believes that the British line of defense after they (laughs) took Fort Mifflin was right along where that runway that runs right up next to Fort Mifflin. I said, hmm. Oh, wow. That's kind of neat to even think that the runway was where the British were actually camped. So Yeah, wow, that is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm I, curious, have you been over to Fort Mercer? I have not. Is okay. that the one that's on the New Jersey side? Yes, yeah, it's Red Bank. Okay. Yes, okay. Yeah, and you would oh, lo- that, that, unfortunately, that. the only thing that's there, it's the entrenchments around it. But you can see it, it, it's really interesting to get the perspective of Mercer and Fort Mifflin at the same time. Others in the area, Adam, in your search so far, in your short amount of time being here? The USS New Jersey is wonderful. I mean, yeah. you know, and that's a very obvious one, a very mobile part of history. And also, it's one that I know a lot of people in the Philadelphia area have familial connections to it because it was built at Philadelphia Navy mm-hmm. Yard. So, yeah, my partner, her grandfather actually not only helped build it, but then later was drafted into the Navy and was assigned to it. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That within itself is a fascinating story of he had there some mechanical something that was happening to the ship and it was uh, was causing some sort of issue. And John Anthony, Janice's grandfather, had been assigned to the kitchen because he was an Italian. They're like, oh, yeah, you definitely know how to cook. And uh, word got around the ship. There was this mechanical issue. And he goes, oh, well, I helped put that together when I, was when I built this thing at Philadelphia Navy Yard. If, if, you know, and he mentioned this to his officer, and the officer brought him to the damage control party or the captain or whomever. And they're like, all right, Mizzy, go take a look at it. And uh, he helped you know, solve that issue. And uh, he was then reassigned out of the kitchen to a different uh, <laughs> different work group in the battleship. But that's a, you know, and it's not necessarily a historic site, but I mean, you know, the battleship is, it's like a gigantic building that can move. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. You, know, you know, 50, 60 years of service to America in those corridors and those passages. And again, like I, in my last segment, I was talking about seeing the bombers and having that understanding of what was happening during during World War II, going and exploring those old vessels and just the really cool parts, you know, the turrets and everything. But then you go down into the bunking spaces and you see the corridors. Mm-hmm. 
and the mess set up and everything. And like, that's how 3,000 Americans lived every day. You know, mm-hmm. this giant, you know, the whole world was this giant steel building that could float around the world, if you will. And that's, again, something if you, you know, so many average people, not in any way to degrade their contributions to the American fabric, but people that just had uh, their day-to-day job, lived, breathed, had their joys, their sorrows in this boat or in this fort or on this field. And that's, I think, where it's really, really cool for people. Just as I saw those ghosts, you know, Mm -hmm. on the ruins of the Phoenix Ironworks, you can see those ghosts to Mm -hmm. some degree walking the corridors of the USS New Jersey. Yeah, I mean, actually, I think Port Mifflin actually does ghost tours, so maybe you can yeah, find the, other. the actual ghosts if, if that's your sort of, that's your thing. You, yeah. you mentioned the Olympia. Were you able to visit the Olympia? I've been to the Olympia several times. Okay. That was actually, I had some travel that brought me to Philadelphia for other reasons. And the Olympia, it, I think the era that the Olympia comes from, and this is, you talk about something cool in your backyard. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the, the Olympia flagship of uh, Dewey's fleet in mm-hmm. uh, the Spanish-American War. But that era of like shipbuilding and military vessels, I think the only two surviving from it is the Olympia here in Philadelphia and then the Aurora in St. Petersburg, Russia. Wow. I mean, and so like that's how rare of a vessel the Olympia is. And it, it like there's really not many ships of that design, that type that are still around in the world. And to be able to walk around in it is incredible. It also like it gives such a window into sort of the ideals of the Victorian era. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You know, like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Or actually, I should say the more the Gilded Age in the United States, because it's a little late for uh, Queen Victoria, but all the officers, their staterooms are at the back of the vessel. They've got all this beautiful teak. The the, the corridor that you go down, it's all lined with teak and everything. And uh, they've got their own mess that looks like the dining room of like one of the fanciest restaurants you'd see in downtown Philadelphia. And then you go to the enlisted area and it's hooks on the ceiling for for, for hammocks mm-hmm. and their tables drop down, <laughs> drop down to be put away when they're doing another job, you know. And they had such luxuries as the colliers, the guys that actually had to like shovel all the coal and everything, had the luxury of having their own shower area to rinse all the coal dust off yeah. of them after their duty. <laughs> and, you know, you think about that, like, you know, that was your, you could join the Navy, like, right, I'm going to sign up or whatever. And your job is like, okay, well, here's your shovel, go down to the bow of this thing and just shovel until we tell you to uh, stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, and- miserable work, but like, you know, somebody did that. Right. (laughs) And I love, Adam, when we can go see the Olympia and it's right Uh on the landing, listeners, we can see the World War II submarine that's right there. And then you could Uh go right across the river to see the USS New Jersey and to see where we came from the Spanish-American War to World War II with our battleships. And then today with our modern Navy, particularly on our aircraft carriers, it's just, it's beyond any words that I could ever comprehend. Yeah. yeah. When the Olympia was commissioned, flight had not occurred. Yeah. Powered flight had not occurred. <laughs> and the transition from the Olympia to the New Jersey, I think the Olympia was 1895. Listeners don't hold, don't send a bunch of hate mail if I got that date wrong, but I think 1895 to the New Jersey, which was 1943. I mean, you're looking at a span of only 50 years. Yes. Yeah. And we went to like where the Olympia was state of the art, top of the line. 
to the New Jersey. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, yeah, the advances were absolutely tremendous. I mean, the materials that both ships are made out of, the, I mean, what I think a lot of people when they go on World War II vessels aren't aware of the amount of the computational power that goes mm-hmm. into laying the guns. You know, like you know, you've got all the various range finding posts. There's a giant clockwork computer in the heart of the ship huh. that spits out, okay, aim this way. Whereas in the Olympia, it was just kind of like, yeah, a few degrees to the right, that should be good. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm sure that the Navy had a system and everything for it, but yeah, the, the, just that advance in 50 years of how far we went, and then even like the societal norms of how the crew was birthed, how the crew was treated, the separation between the officers and the men and everything, like to see that train, yeah, it's, it's fascinating thing. It would be wander around the Olympia for a couple hours, then go see the New Jersey and just see how far things changed. And I mean, I think the New Jersey was decommissioned in 94. So, yeah, in just a century, where we, you know, to, to borrow from the, the popular meme from the kids, how it started, how it's going. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm going to throw your curveball here, so I apologize okay. in advance. You and I talked about the touch, the taste, the feel, and yeah. experiencing American history on our first show. And that's what we're talking about in this show also. Share with our listeners, please, if you would, because one of my favorite experiences at Dolly Forge Park is the March in. Yes. And, that, and then the march out that's mm-hmm. coming up soon? Yes. So your experience with them are actually probably a little bit, bit more than mine. So the, our march-in that we did this past year, which was uh, on December 19th, the day the Army arrived at Valley Forge, we had to really modify it for the COVID restrictions that federal sites sure. were under at the time. We couldn't have gathered. Anything that gathered more than 50 people was considered too risky. And so we had to make something that kind of spread out the experience a little bit. But from what I've been told in years past, it's quite an amazing, like, theatric production. Like, yes, you know, it is. That night, you know, the park is lit mostly by torches and candlelight. You have George Washington mounted on a, you know, mounted on a horse watching the army arrive and the visitors, you know, sorry, the visitors come in kind of like under the gaze of George Washington mm-hmm. and, you know, the, the troops arrive and, and it's a, you know, like for the theatrical effect of it, I think brings across this message of, you know, the army arrives and like, the, you know, it's just sort of this open field or whatever. And they start having to set up their life for the next six months and everything. It's very, you know, again, I'm going off of uh, lots of eyewitness accounts and, you know, my staff and everything. It's very stirring. I'm sure you can give some of like what it feels like. And I'm really looking forward to the the event we did this year. We came up with some great programming. One of my my staff came up with this wonderful scavenger hunt around the park that kind of you you picked one person that was arriving at Valley Forge that day and you went to the various places that they would have been in in their first couple of weeks and found out how did they come to Valley Forge? What were they doing there? What was their, and how did the story end up? Did they perish there? Did they survive to fight another day? You know, but yeah, the theatrical sort of setting the mood of what, you know, like even being at night while the army kind of arrived throughout the day, being at night almost sets that tone of this is this low point, you know, right. our, our future wasn't guaranteed. Our, we're, we're kind of fumbling through the dark on how our revolution will continue. And for a moment, we're brought to this place of respite of sanctuary here in Valley Forge while the struggles would not end, you know, in some cases would get worse. This was a moment where the army could stop and take a breath for a moment. And that that sort of late night theatrical thing kind of ties into that. 
Coming up, though, for March Out, which is something all of you listening uh, can come experience, that is when six months later when the Army leaves Valley Forge. And we've got a number of things that are ha- happening over the course of the weekend. Now, the actual date of the, the marching out was June 19th. You know, the, the Army breaks camp and goes to pursue the British on their way back to New York. Most of what's happening is actually on the 18th, uh, we've got a group of descendants of Valley Forge. So basically people that trace the lineage, the soldiers that were here, they are doing a symbolic procession from Artillery Park up to about where the von Steuben statue is. So they're going to be walking with the color guard. That's kind of like an internal thing Mm -hmm. for them. They're following the footsteps of their ancestors. They're kind of reviving or maintaining that personal connection. And while it's not something that's necessarily a public spectacle, if you happen to be in the park to watch it, you're more than welcome to. Talk to a few people. They'll be more than happy to tell you about their ancestors. I'll tell you that. And then we're also dedicating two waysides at the Patriots of African Descent Memorial. Mm-hmm. And uh, the park's actually worked with a African-American sorority, Delta Sigma Theta. They've had a Valley Ford alumni chapter since, oh, 1991. And so going back uh, 30 years of sort of they're working with, the, with, with Valley Forge National Historical Park. And uh, it's been about a two-year project to put some educational panels. We refer to them as waysides in the National Park Service. They're those, you know, when you're walking through the park and you see that thing that's probably about waist height, kind of at an angle, mm-hmm. has like a graphic. And we call those waysides. So that's a, that's a little fun tip for all of you out, out there on radio land, you know. And, oh, that's a wayside. Oh, the park <laughs> ranger told me. Uh, So we're dedicating two new waysides, and it's been a really fun project because wayside development, it's all about connecting a static sort of panel with some sort of visual connection to the park. Because you want, you know, our philosophy is you want people to walk up and see something that they can't see right in front of them. So we've got one panel that talks about sort of the contribution of patriots of African descent, not just in a military sense, but also in a civilian sense, everything from enslaved cooks to spies to free men delivering supplies. And then another one talks specifically about the military contributions of regiments at Valley Forge. So in particular, it's the first Rhode Island, which was comprised mostly of Africans and Native Americans. You know, and they were bivouac, not not far from where the monument itself is. And so they're the sort of the sorority and the Park Service are doing dedication for these two new uh, these two new waysides and everything. And that's kind of going on more or less at the same time. The procession's happening. And then we've got a day of educational programming all day long on the 19th. We're going to be doing some musket demonstrations. We've got a gentleman, Noah Lewis, who talks about artillery a whole bunch. He's going to be over at Artillery Park. He's going to be there. And yeah, so you come in, there's going to be things going on all around the park that day, all focusing on what was happening with the Army when it came to the order. Oh, you know, we're we're here for six months. The order comes in. It's time to go. And (laughs) so, Adam, unfortunately, again, we are (laughs) totally out of time. So, oh, I ran us out of time. Well, no, 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 you didn't run us out of time. It's fascinating to talk about your experiences and particularly listeners. You need to get to Valley Forge if you haven't been there for a while. The new visitor center is fabulous. The new museum that opened up just, I believe, was President's Weekend this year is fabulous. And remember, listeners, the March out and there's activities on the 18th and then again on the 19th of June. 
Adam, thank you for coming and thank you for sharing some of your passion with us about the different sites in Valley Forge and what you're doing with the Park Service. It's just been wonderful and educational to all of us. So thank you for coming and sharing with us. It's my pleasure. It's great to share some of my love of history and how everybody can experience it on their own terms and yes, how yes. next to them. So. Yes. So again, thank you. And listeners, Valley Forge is right here. And Joseph Allen said it's the greatest story yet untold. So there's so much that you can touch, taste, feel at Valley Forge Park. So Adam, again, thank you for sharing with us. And this is 1180 AM WFYL, Working for Your Liberty.